0: First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't generate amusing holiday cards. But it will personalize career paths for your people and let you know which suppliers are best. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI.
1: It's about people uh, getting used to to living on water. Now you're standing here. Now you feel that this is safe and fun and not different than a normal house. Yeah, I don't
2: feel like I'm on water. I just feel like we've got a really nice view of the canal. This is World Changing Ideas, and I'm Amelia Hempel. This season, we're bringing you stories from changemakers and innovators all around the world, working to create a better future. So if you're on the hunt for some solutions to the world's biggest problems, then you've come to the right place. We've looked at a whole bunch of amazing ideas this season. We've met people tackling global problems like rising temperatures, water shortages, rainforest destruction and greenhouse gas emissions.
0: Eye on Earth tonight, a new report suggests that sea levels are rising at a dramatic rate. University of Miami scientists warn we'd better act soon or coastal cities and towns will slowly diminish.
1: New sea level rise report showing our country's coastline could experience as much sea level rise in the next 30 years as it experienced over the span of the entire last century.
0: This report documents that hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses in Louisiana, Texas, North Carolina and Florida are in danger of being lost or severely damaged because of rising sea levels. One UH report predicted the loss of $19 billion worth of Hawaii land and infrastructure by the end of this century. That includes more than 6,000
2: homes. But one environmental challenge we can't skip over is rising sea levels. Because in the next few decades, this is going to affect all of us. Global warming has caused unprecedented levels of ice and glacier melt over the last few decades. So no matter how much we reduce our carbon emissions, sea levels are on course to rise at least a foot by 2050. Which is a scary statistic even before we think about the fact that almost three quarters of the world's population live within 50 kilometers of the sea. We're going to need something pretty transformative to take on this one. I took a trip to Europe to find out what sort of world-changing ideas are whirling around there. So we've arrived, where are we? Uh,
1: we are in Leiden, in the, the middle of the Netherlands, and we are close to the canal, and they are one of the, our largest floating houses in the Netherlands is built there.
2: Let's go and check it out. Sure.
1: So, the Dutch, they have like, I think, 20,000 of these, these kind of floating houses in the Netherlands, and they've been there for the last, now maybe, 100 years. The first ones were very small, like small boats eh, with steel foundations, And now we see slowly that they are being uh, changed for what we call water homes, water houses, with the same kind of regulations and same kind of quality as normal houses, only with a floating foundation. So let's see if you uh, feel that it's a floating
2: home. That's Cohen Altwees. He's a water architect who builds houses on water, like actually in the water. They're large, several-story houses with floating foundations. Altuis comes from a long line of shipbuilders. On his father's side, their last name actually means Old House, so he was pretty much destined to build floating homes.
1: I had to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but again, of course, if I wouldn't have been Dutch, if I wouldn't have lived in this era, then uh, we wouldn't have done it, because today it's, it's so important for the Dutch to, to think about the new future not only fighting with the water, but also try to live with the water, as climate is changing so fast that we can expect only more water. And of course, this country, it's it's fun to drive here, and it looks like like it's all solid, but you're you're below sea level here. So uh, if we don't do anything, water will rise again, and we have to swim here.
2: Almost 50% of the Netherlands is below sea level. The city of Amsterdam, for example, is a full two metres below sea level. So the Dutch have been battling flooding and rising water levels for decades. They use special walls called dikes and huge amounts of electricity to continuously pump out the seawater. But Altwies wants to change the narrative and get the cities to work with the water rather than fighting against it.
1: I think is we just adding something uh, to the recipe of uh, curing cities because we have that many problems around the world. Eh? Every city is in need of space. There's urbanization. There's climate change, and where can we find space? Well, we think we can find space on water. Now I always said that that. Our role as architects has changed. It's not longer just making nice shapes, but it's being a city doctor. eh? And and water is a medicine. It gives space, it gives flexibility, it uh, gives uh, uh, durability because we can use it here, maybe on 50 years and then move it to another location. Uh, Sustainability because eh, we can use the the temperature of the water to cool the house. We can create artificial corals underneath our building. So there are many things we can do here to to make the the livability of cities better.
2: About an hour's drive outside of Amsterdam, I got my first look at one of his creations, which has been commissioned by a retired Dutch couple. Oh wow, so when you get a bit closer, you see that the whole house is floating on this kind of dock just in the, in the river canal, wow.
1: We're in a canal system and this house is actually not built here. It's built 50 kilometers from here. So it had to be towed over the water through all the big bridges, which only like five centimeters of, of, of space on both
2: sides, to here. Oh my God, what a mission.
1: So as you can see, it's, uh, yeah, we have some artificial grass on it, but it's, it's, it's no longer just a, a boat. It's really a, a piece of floating foundation. It uh, measures, I think here, uh, 12 by uh, 20 meters. And then two-thirds of that, that foundation is used by the house on it. The house is two stories, and it has this fantastic view over the water.
2: Yeah, it's very modern. It looks like kind of a beach house. You've got balconies, this <laughs> its own private island. Yeah,
1: yeah well, if you have, I hope to, uh, we designed some trees on it, so they have to put on it. But if you would bring this house on the middle of the water or even on a big lake and you would uh, uh, have come there with your boat, yeah, then it's, it's in fact a floating island. So if you add, like, another two or three stories on this house, which is easily we can do because we have such a large foundation, then you can house maybe uh, 14, 15 uh, small studios on it.
2: You can tow the houses and move them anywhere, with special permits from the government, of course. And then you can fix them in place using a long pole at each corner, which is driven into the ground. The house we were looking at can rise up to three metres, depending on the water level. There's a little bridge for the residents to get back onto land and a speedboat that's docked next to it as well. Oldhuis says we're only just starting to discover how transformative floating homes can be for cities.
1: And I think a good urban planner makes a flexible plan and not longer just a nice picture of how the city could look like, but something that is uh, like an organism and that can change constantly.
2: He and his team have designed over 300 floating homes, offices, schools and healthcare centres. But how do these floating buildings work structurally?
1: They're not that different than a boat. That means you design a house, you calculate the weight, and the weight determines how much foundation you need and how deep the foundation should be. So for a floating home like this, is like six, seven meters height. That means that we have a foundation of 1.6 meters into the water. So it's a, a big concrete shoebox. And that, uh, that that works like a ship, so it uh, pushes up the building.
2: So does water get inside that concrete shoebox?
1: I hope not. <laughs> it's not good for the wine that's eh? inside.
2: Oh wow! We can we're stepping onto the house <laughs> island.
1: Yeah, you're walking on water now. Yeah,
2: we're walking on water. Yeah, this is amazing. There's even an electric elevator inside the house, which Toys explained is necessary for accessibility.
1: So here we are.
2: We've arrived. The second story. Second
0: story.
2: I mean, the views are amazing.
1: Yeah. We've installed the floors here. Yeah, I love And will this be
2: the bedroom? You've got a nice bedroom, glass. Door here going out onto the balcony and out onto the water. It like this, huh?
1: I like this place a lot because this shows what oh.
2: here we go out onto the balcony. Some nice little ducks swimming in the canal in front of us. <laughs> and what about storms and floodwaters?
1: Well, for every building in the Netherlands that's floating, we make calculations up front. So we know exactly what we can expect during the year with the normal uh, tidal or normal movements. And we also uh, expect, uh, for, for the, the worst case scenario, once in a hundred year, when maybe you have two or three meters water, then also it can rise up, but then you have to connect it with cables. And but for the only the, the 20 centimeters, we have the big piles next to it, and you can just go on holiday and you'll find your house after two weeks back 20 centimeters higher than, than before.
2: Okay, so if there's a big storm, your basement would rise with the water level to lift the building and avoid any flooding. But the houses don't bob around when they're anchored. It feels completely stable when you're inside, so no seasickness in your own home. They're not totally self-sufficient, though. This house has solar panels on the roof, but it also plugs into the electricity mains and sewage system on land. And what about the cost? It's entirely built of wood, specifically cross-laminated timber, and it's got double-glazed windows throughout. But is it more expensive than an average house? I think uh,
1: this house is in a way cheaper, because the the construction cost is a little bit more expensive. You pay like 10 to 15 percent more. That's mostly because your foundation, eh, your concrete foundation, has to be built. But you don't have to buy land, you buy the water or you rent the water in this case.
2: Buying land versus buying water, what, yeah. what's the difference?
1: It's uh, land plus water. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, if you have a nice garden uh, in England and your garden gets flooded, it's still your garden. And the same here, this is always flooded. So you have land and you have like two or three metres of water on top of it, and that's what you own.
2: And would I be responsible if I start polluting this water? Definitely. He said he doesn't believe that floating homes is a world-changing idea, though.
1: If you see these houses, this is not the future for us. Eh? This is just a very nice step of innovation and, and uh, it's the rich paying for this technology. With it, we go to the next step, and that's building apartment buildings, high density buildings. We have to grow up to, to, to maybe four or five uh, layers with, with studios there and make sure that the housing problems in the in cities are, are solved to this.
2: I referred to the Netherlands as a magical place, but Altois was a bit more practical.
1: I think it's just an, uh, a mechanical, it's, it's an artificial country. It's a machine, yeah, it's, we have pumped out water to make dry land. And people forget that if the Dutch stop with pumping, we don't have the Netherlands anymore. The Water will rise again and, and, uh, and the land will be gone. It's rethinking that system that is the, the quest for the next uh, 10, 15 years because we can't just keep on pumping, we should also be much more uh, living with nature and that means that maybe these kind of floating houses uh, on water is part of the solution because that for these kind of houses, climate change is not a problem because it goes just up and down with, uh, with the rise of water.
2: Kind of wild to think that if a city stop pumping water out, it will be entirely submerged. But Althuis compared Leiden to London and New York City too. Those cities are equally at risk of sea levels rising if they don't maintain a regimen of pumping water out. And that can take a lot of energy.
1: There are all side effects with that. It's difficult for a country that has always been fighting the water to make the change into living with the water. We see that most of our projects are outside of of the Netherlands what we see happening in the U.S. or in Panama or in the Maldives where we're doing a floating city, they don't have this kind of history of fighting the water. So they are much more open for this new relation with water where water is your friend and we can live on top of the water. So even for the Dutch they have to start changing their mindset and the the first floating neighborhoods won't appear in the Netherlands, but will appear in other places in the world. Cities have always been changing. And it's technology that pushes the city for, uh, forward. And not only technology, but also the, the challenges. Uh, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, the same problems. Every city was crowded. And then we had Mr. Otis, and he invented the elevator. And with the elevator, it was possible to make high-rise buildings because nobody wanted to just uh, start walking five, five, six stories up. With this one technical innovation, we get vertical cities. Now, today, it's exactly the same. Because we have now water, we can make floating foundations, and with these floating foundations, we can expand over water. So it's just the next layer to the city. Because you don't destroy the underwater world. That means that if I make a, a floating neighborhood, and after 200 years, I want to take it away and can go back to the original situation. It's like scarless developments. It's like renting space from
2: nature. Altois and his company Water Studio are currently building these floating homes all over the world, from Norway to the Maldives and French Polynesia. But there's still work to be done. He says they're only halfway there on the design, and they're trying to reduce build time from half a year down to four weeks.
0: First, the bad news.
2: So floating homes sounds like a great idea, but what about floating towns or floating cities? Over in Panama, a futuristic project is underway to try and build communities of entirely self-sufficient ocean pods. They could be installed near land or way out to sea. I chatted with Grant Ramont about his company Ocean Builders. His world-changing idea is to create an eco-sustainable paradise centered entirely around, you guessed it, the ocean. He gave me a tour of one of the first ocean pods via FaceTime, and it looks just like one of those floating egg buildings that the Jetsons used to live in. Take a listen. Will you tell me exactly where you are right now and what you can see, what's your your view like?
0: All right, I am right now in a sea pod. This is the first in the world pod that has been developed and built. And we're in Panama. It's always uh, sunny and warm here for the most part. It's a beautiful way of living.
2: Will you tell me your story? How did you get into ocean builders and sea pods? What's your background?
0: I've always loved being around water. I think a lot of people are. I mean, most people spend all year dreaming of going to some water location close to the beach or on a tropical island somewhere. And uh, I actually had a chance to live in a floating home. I found it as an Airbnb, and I just fell in love with the lifestyle. I didn't even know that a floating home like that existed. And then I tried it for one night, and I just extended for a week, and then a month, and then a year, and then three and a half years later, I was still there.
2: Nice. And then, so this wasn't your your first crack at the C-pods, was it?
0: No, I didn't think I'd ever do it as a business. I was semi-retired at the time and uh, I didn't think I would do another business at all. And then I saw what my now business partner had built as a prototype, he built this floating platform. So I saw it and I thought, wow, that could be something that could change how we think about real estate.
2: Did you have any background in real estate before?
0: I have a software development company building software for the beauty industry for like well professionals, L'Oreal and OPI. And before that, I was in uh, scissor sharpening for the beauty industry. So completely unrelated, but all the skills I've learned over the years from past businesses kind of rolled up into this.
2: So you you had the idea for the Ocean Builders, and and then what happened next?
0: When I first saw the original prototype, I just got super inspired, and I wrote ideas after ideas. Like Every 10 minutes, I'd have pages of notes, and that went on for many months because this it just kind of opened a whole new realm of what's possible. This is kind of a, a hybrid between a house and a boat. So much innovation needs to be done, so we had to solve a lot of things to make this actually work.
2: Yeah, what would you say is, you know, the big problem you're trying to solve here, and what's, what's the world-changing idea behind all of this?
0: Well, everyone loves being close to the water, and we've developed a whole new technology that converts water into real estate, and it's a whole new kind of real estate that uh, when you're on a seapod, it feels like you're on land because it's so stable. And it's uh, sea level rising resistant real estate. So sea level rising is a huge global issue right now. Many people are going to be displaced when the sea level rises in their local area. Something like 80% of the world lives within 80 kilometers of the water, of of the ocean. So this technology solves that and creates uh, sea level rising resistant real estate. But it's also eco-restorative and eco-friendly real estate because every seapod we put in the water actually becomes a habitat for life. Whereas when you cut down trees to put a home down on on land, you're destroying the environment.
2: Will you tell us a bit more about that? What the homes are made of, what do they look like, and a bit about the design?
0: When we show people pictures of them for the first time, they, they usually say, oh, that kind of looks like the Jetsons. This home, which is on a pillar floating in the sky, basically floating over the water or floating over land. And it's a a steel tube that is about 1.6 meters in diameter that rises out of the water. And then there's this house that kind of looks like a big egg and it's white. It has windows going all the way around and it looks like it's going right into the sea floor, the steel tube that goes down into the sea, but it's actually completely floating and it's floating on basically tubes that are under the water that create all the buoyancy. It's kind of an optical illusion because most boats have their flotation right on the surface of the water where the waves are. So we've submerged our flotation under the waves. So it creates uh, this optical illusion that it it can't be floating, but it, it is floating.
2: How does all the the plumbing and electricity and all the tech work?
0: Well, it's kind of a work in progress. So for the the shower, for example, we have a system that we're working on that will recycle between 70 and 90% of the water from the shower. So it continually recycles the water. Instead of um, using 10 gallons of water in two minutes, we'll use 10 gallons of water in 10 minutes because a lot of it can be recycled. And once it's reached a point where it's too dirty to be recycled, then it can be, uh, it goes to a secondary process that is a more intensive cleaning process. But usually when you're in the shower, most of the water that goes down the drain is already warm. So it's already, it's already been heated up and then it's mostly clean. So we figure, okay, well, why not just do a quick cleaning cycle on that? And then you don't have to spend as much energy to heat fresh water because this water is already warm. So we save energy that way and then also save water that way.
2: What about all the sewage? I'm sure that you get asked that a lot.
0: For the grey water, which is just like the water from the shower sinks, we put it through a process called electrocoagulation, which is a process that's been around since the late 50s. And it puts the uh, liquids through metal plates that are charged. What happens is all the particles that are in the water that goes through those plates actually coagulate they kind of stick together much easier to filter those out and it can even filter out things that are hard to traditionally filter without clogging the filters like uh, soaps and oils possibly pharmaceuticals for black water which is the all the liquids and the solids coming from toilets we separate the liquids from the solids the solids go to an incinerator unit that incinerate the solids down to like just ash So you get like a teaspoon of ash or a tablespoon of ash for the solids. And then the waste heat from that goes towards heating water for the home. So for showers and sinks and dishwashing. The liquid waste gets treated to the point where you can actually drink it, but we actually filter it back into the toilet water intake. So it just gets continually recycled.
2: What about the electricity? Do you have solar panels or is it completely disconnected from the grid?
0: Right now, we're kind of a hybrid because we're close enough to land, so we just have a power line going. Uh, The solar panels are already installed, and we're in the process of getting it hooked up to the power system on the house. Then we'll be mostly off-grid. We'll see if we have enough power. If we don't have enough power, then we may need to use a backup generator, but we're working on redesigning this model so we'll actually have solar built into the roof itself. So that should be enough. In about three hours of sunlight, we'll have enough power to power the whole house.
2: So you want to have whole communities at living out in these sea pods. Will people be able to kind of get on a boat and or where will they walk around or they'll just swim?
0: Well, we are developing the concept right now so we can have something in coastal waters of many countries eventually around the world. Uh, we're starting here in Panama because it's a really easy place to start because it's outside of the hurricane zone. We have a jet ski dock right on our C pod that I'm in right now. My preference is a paddleboard that has a motor on it. So it's electric paddleboard, which is kind of fun. Uh, You can use a kayak. We even have the ability to land a helicopter on this unit. We've built the roof. So it's flat It's reinforced to be able to land a helicopter or a passenger drone when they become available in a couple of years. The location where we want to move this unit to once we're ready is about a kilometer from shore. So in five minutes on a water taxi, you're there. In two minutes on a jet ski, you're there. Or 10 minutes on a paddleboard, you're there. You and just get on a on a boat and go to an island nearby and go for a walk or have a barbecue or bring your dog for a walk.
2: It sounds pretty dreamy. And yeah, what what's the price point? Who's buying them?
0: The Jetsons was set theoretically in the uh, 2062, and in that year George was 40, and he was actually born on August 21st of 2022. So we had our launch on George Jetson's birthday, which was really fun. So we had a st- online launch, and we're making them available for a very special price of uh, 295, 295 thousand U.S. dollars, and goes up to about 1.5 million with all the upgrades and options that you can get.
2: Are people buying sort of timeshares in them as well? or you're just selling them to individual buyers?
0: Well, we're starting with uh, doing a lot of rentals because we want people to experience them. And that's really where you get to fall in love with the whole lifestyle.
2: And how much can you rent it for?
0: We're doing them for 5.95, but the retail price is gonna be more like 9.95 per night. So 995 per night. And that would be pretty amazing experience the way we're putting it together. It's gonna be like a VIP thing. We greet you at the airport, you walk right off the plane, VIP through customs and in-house cook.
2: Tell me about the community aspect of it. Can you kind of jump over to someone else's sea pod or they're far enough away?
0: You could have several kilometres between each pod if you wanted to. Uh, but the location we're starting at, we're trying to have about 10 metres up to 20 metres, depending on the configuration. Uh, there's one spot we're looking at where they all the pods can be connected by a floating dock. So you'll be able to just... Walk outside of your pod and walk to your neighbours or jump in a paddleboard and paddle over in, in two minutes or less.
2: What have been the biggest challenges of this project? Because it's, it's pretty different living on a, on a floating pod.
0: Yes, uh, there's so many challenges from just describing what it is to people and them understanding and then solving all the water issues like how do you get enough water? What do you do with the waste water? Uh, How do you get food and how do you get deliveries?
2: How do they get their food and deal with all their trash? Does that have to be some sort of boat situation?
0: Yes. So we have already done some initial trials for a drone that travels on the surface of the water that can carry up to 440 pounds and carry anything from groceries, like many bags of groceries, heavy furniture, trash, compost Uh, recycling it's an autonomous system it still needs a lot of work though it's a first generation but it's it's very cool because it actually kind of does double duty can pick up trash as well as act as a transport vessel
2: oh that's good and what does the sort of blue technology term mean to you
0: to me it means any technology that that enables us to live on the water just like developing technology to go into space has brought back a lot of technology for land use and a lot of new innovations have come from that. I think moving into living on the water is going to open up a whole new wave of innovation on the planet because we have to innovate a lot to be able to successfully live on the water. Like the water-saving technology can come back to be used on land. If you could use 90% less water in your shower, that can be used anywhere in the world.
2: Is there a way for people to get uh, fresh water on the pods?
0: Well, we have the traditional solution that's available for all boats, which is uh, desalination, which uh, basically just takes salt water, puts it through a reverse osmosis process, and we end up with drinkable water. We actually remineralize the water because after traditional reverse osmosis, the water is technically dead water. It doesn't have any anything in it, so it's not the healthiest water to drink. But we also have a better solution, which is we have our new model actually has a very flat roof that has a a small incline or decline down to the center of one degree angle, and it actually collects all the rainwater. So in five minutes worth of rain, we have all the water we need for several days.
2: That's great.
0: That's free. That doesn't cost anything for energy. A little bit, actually, because we put it through a filtering process, but it's a very small amount of energy compared to desalinization, which uses about 450 watts to make 80 liters of water.
2: And tell me what your days are like living on the the floating home. What's the experience?
0: I just love waking up here. It's really magical sleeping uh, with the windows open, with the sea breeze, the smells of the ocean, the sounds of being in the tropics. It's it's, it's really beautiful. And also we have um, windows that go around the entire pod. So you have these incredible views everywhere you look, and you wake up to views, views that are panoramic ocean views. And it's not just a view from of the water from water level, we're actually about four and a half meters above the water level. So the views are much more spectacular than being at the ground level.
2: How do people then get down, you know, onto their boat or their paddleboard? Or...
0: We have a spiral staircase in the center of the pod, and then you just walk down, it's 15 steps to the water level.
2: Very cool. What's next on the horizon for you? What are you hoping for the future of this project?
0: I'm excited about the redesign we're doing for this model that I'm sitting in right now that's going to allow us to go produce them faster but simultaneously we're also designing a floating factory. We really want to be able to produce them on the water because it's going to make it easier for us to deploy them because shipping a house around the world is kind (laughs) kind of expensive so we would like to be able to produce them where we're delivering them so we can bring the ship to a different area of Panama and, and then spit out 10 or 20 sea pods out of the back of the factory ship. And then we can go to Mexico and make 10 units there and deliver them on site.
2: Are people worried about um, the pollution to the water or, or not really? There's probably a lot of regulatory hoops you've got to jump through.
0: People are concerned about that when they don't know what we're doing because people that live in coastal areas, they usually dump there's stuff in the water. They go to the beaches and they leave trash on the beach and then it ends up in the water and it's floating around or they have sewage that goes right into the water. So they don't understand all the technology we're developing to make this eco-friendly. And if this was not eco-friendly, I wouldn't be interested in doing it. I'm doing this because I think it it can be something that really contributes to changing the world in very positive ways and makes it contributes eco-restorative and eco-friendly solutions to the world.
2: Tell me about your, your logo, the shell. What's the meaning behind that?
0: It was the first real home that was built in the world and it's made of eco-friendly materials. It's made of materials from the environment. It's very hard material. It has these very solid structure because of the curves. And so we've taken a lot of ideas from that, that we are getting a lot of inspiration from that. Our entire structure is curved and rounded. And it's just a very organic thing to live in. It's like an egg. It's very, very strong because it has the, the curve built into it. We also want to use organic materials as much as possible and we're we're researching and developing new materials that are super earth friendly. We're using 3D printing with, with clay material to 3D print coral structures that can become a marine habitat under our our pods. So we'll have a coral garden under every home. So yeah, we we take a lot of design inspiration from something as simple as as a seashell.
2: Okay, that's all for our show today. I'm Amelia Hempel and that was the final episode of this season. We're going to be taking a break for the spring to track down some more world-changing ideas. So thank you for coming along for the ride and sharing all of your favorites. We'll see you again soon. And in the meantime, you can follow Fast Company on TikTok and Instagram. Our show is produced by Avery Miles, mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres, Joshua Christensen is our supervising producer, editorial oversight from Deputy Editor Kate Davis, and Senior VP of Entertainment, Scott Meebus.